Welcome to the European Greens podcast, where we talk about the way forward to a greener and fairer Europe, together with green leaders and activists. The European Greens are a European political party that brings together national parties sharing the same green values, like democracy, feminism, support of LGBTQ+, and climate action. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, and together, let's green our future. Hello and welcome to this new episode of the Green Talking Heads on Platform Work. In this episode, we'll be diving in some very hot topics such as digital labor rights, platform workers and intersectional justice, how does accountability look like for major platforms and the future of work. For this, we had the pleasure to have a brilliant and very invested guest, who's the MEP Kim Van Sparentak, who's among many other things, a member on the Special Committee on Artificial Intelligence in the Digital Age. As a disclaimer, Kim was recording from home and her dear neighbors decided that today was the day where they're going to do some renovation and housework, as neighbors do. So please bear with us and try your best not to let the background noises distract you from the precious expertise and vision that Kim shared. Enjoy the episode. Kim, thank you so much for accepting the invite and being part of the Green Talking Heads for today, where we're going to be talking about platform work and uh, digital labor rights at large. And to start with, I would love to just contextualize, making sure that we know what we're talking about specifically, maybe citing some of the main platforms that are thriving in the EU, um, you know, and what does it mean to actually be a, a platform worker, a gig worker? Like what's the definition or the lack thereof? Uh, and what does it mean today? Hey, yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. And um, well, when we think of platform work and platform workers, we usually tend to think of um, the Uber driver or the Deliveroo rider, um, the Globo rider or um, the Bolt driver, the people who um, perform tasks for us that we can just ask for on demand um, through an app on our phone usually or through a website. Um, and um, the people that work for these platforms, um, most of them don't have a regular contract like you and I to, you know, work for a boss with a um, certain amount of holidays, certain working hours. Um, but rather they actually, they just also work on demand, like we ask for their services on demand, um, which means that um, they are technically, according to platforms, self-employed. However, if you look at the, the actually the rights they have and um, also the uh, amount of money they earn, it's very hard for them to actually make sure, um, first of all, that they have, for example, proper insurance, can save for pensions and all these things that, you know, we have kind of established in, um, in the world that, that these are decent uh, workers' rights to have. Um, and next to that, um, actually, they don't have the freedom uh, of uh, a true self-employed person. They don't have the freedom to decide which job they want to take. They just have to take what the algorithm gives to them. And that is basically, if you really purely look at, you know, what is the difference? It is that they don't have rights and um, where whilst they are actually, um, you know, organized by an algorithm rather than by uh, a person that is their manager. 
Mm, super. Thanks for this context. Yeah. And so the context of this conversation also is a proposal um, by the European Commission that came out last December to basically offer to these platform workers greater social protection and um, legal presumption of, of employment, among other things. Could you tell us a little bit more about the proposal and maybe the main uh, impacts that it would have on digital labor rights at large? Yeah, definitely. So the European Commission um, presented in the beginning already of their mandate um, that they would come with a solution for platform workers to make sure that they, they get the rights that they actually deserve as workers. And um, it's uh, actually quite interesting that uh, to look at the legislation that has now been put forward by the European Commission, um, because it really looks at two aspects. The one aspect is um, the part of bogus self-employment, as we call it. They are not truly self-employed, and we have to make sure that um, the platforms um, will actually um, treat them as employees uh, rather than as just some um, inter-exchangeable assets that they use for their own profit. Um, and that's why the European Commission comes forward with a so-called uh, presumption of employment, um, which is a rebuttable presumption. This all sounds very technical, um, but when it really comes to the core, it just means that it's up to a platform to prove that these people are self-employed. What, what we see now is that, um, you know, when, for example, an Uber driver wants to get the rights they deserve and they want to get a contract from Uber, they have to start massive court cases against some of the um, companies like these platforms. They have money to burn. Um, so imagine being one underpaid driver and having to fight for your rights to have proper health insurance, to have proper, you know, free time, to have proper uh, paid holidays, um, to have to fight against that. Um, what the Commission is, is doing in this proposal is to make sure that, you know, they don't longer, no longer have to prove that they are, should be employed, but that that is up to the platform. And this would just completely change the legal situation for workers in the platform economy. The second thing, um, which is actually the only thing that makes platform work special or different than any other job, is the fact that the algorithm decides which task you have rather than a person. So it's not, you know, someone in an office uh, looking at a map, oh, here someone wants food, uh, here is a rider, and we are just going to draw a line on a map, and, that's, and then we're going to call the rider and say, you have to go from here to here. Um, no, it's an algorithm that just matches um, what is the most convenient. And um, that is something that um, is new and that has to be regulated now. We have to make sure we have digital workers' rights. And the Commission is very ambitious also in that regard to really make sure that algorithmic management um, is uh, now part of, um, for example, the social dialogue. Um, workers will have a say on how the algorithm works. Um, and also there should always be a person in charge for, for important decisions. It can't just be up to an algorithm to decide, um, for example, whether you get fired. And um, that is a very important step, not only for the platform work economy, but actually um, for workers as a whole, since we see that these platform work systems and this algorithmic management is something that is extending to the rest of the labor market. 
Yes, I think it's a, it's a very important point, and that brings me to the link, you know, between the platform workers' rights and also their physical and mental health. Like we've definitely observed through different uh, cases, like you just mentioned, algorithm pressure, and a lot of the writers have actually mentioned that, you know, through um, the, the COVID-19 period, the algorithm has become even more, um, you know, aggressive, and that's very tricky. Also, increased health and safety risk due to, for, for a lot of them, higher exposure to the, to the virus. The stress of having no job security, no social security, um, in terms of physical health, of course, the overwork, over hours, cycling under sometimes very extreme weather conditions. So we saw the examples in, in some uh, countries last summer where there were massive floods and tragic social media videos of riders still being delivering food because some people were still ordering. And so I think there's a there's a, a very important link here in terms of like knowing that you have rights and that you have access to social security and to job security uh, and just improving the, the, the lifestyle and the conditions of workers in general. I don't know if you have some analysis of, of the model in the context of digital workers' rights in specific countries maybe where you saw um, specific um, yeah, examples. Well, I think... Maybe just take a step back and, you know, in general, what is the responsibility of a manager? Your manager um, tells you what to do, but your manager also has the responsibility to tell you, oh, um, you've been making a lot of over hours, maybe you should, you know, uh, try to relax a bit more and try to, you know, shut down your email in the evening. Um, hey, um, these are the health and safety regulations, you are not allowed to, I don't know, cycle on the highway, uh, even though you think that is faster. You know, that is also the job of a manager. And when you have um, an algorithm that guides you, and al an algorithm has ones and zeros and just thinks, okay, this is how we optimize certain things. Um, so this is, I think, something that is um, important to take into account that when we're talking about algorithmic management, it is, um, you know, we have to also make sure that there's always still people around who, actually check what is happening um, because a manager is much more than someone who, who tells you what to do. Um, and then when we look at um, examples of where they are, are trying to embed these workers' rights, I think one of the most interesting examples we're seeing right now is the example of Spain, where they now have a, a writer's law specifically for, um, for writers. So those are, those are the food deliverers. And um, I think there they are really trying to, you know, take take big steps towards making sure that, you know, labor rights become become digital proof. And um, it's very interesting to see the developments happening everywhere. Um, but we're really still at the beginning. And I also think for the longest time we have thought that algorithms are, you know, something that are just going to take over jobs, they're going to replace jobs. But what we're seeing is that algorithms are transforming people into robots rather than we have robots taking over people's jobs. And this is something, a development that we haven't anticipated on as much. And I think that is um, an important uh, aspect to, to take into account that it is extending to, through the whole labor market at some point and we have to do it right now. 
I think there's there's uh, you know a few examples, and, and you mentioned one where in several countries, so the courts have ruled that gig workers should be recognized as, as employees. But of course, it's different from one country to another, which sometimes is a bit tricky. Um, but there is sometimes pressure from civil society. You know, there are rulings that we observe, um, and some member states have started to regulate this sector. Um, and it would be great if you could tell us a bit more about how the debate is evolving in, in some other member states, if you have uh, examples, and how will the commission proposal impact them? Because we know that, you know, a lot of these um, very, very big platforms are lobbying massively against basically any le legislation. Um, and they have, for example, the delivery platforms Europe, where they really organize and get together. So how do you see, um, yeah, the, the situation evolving in different member states? It's, it's actually very interesting to really observe all the different things that are going on. Um, first of all, we, we have indeed all these uh, lawsuits that happened, and in many, many cases, the platform workers won. Um, I think one of the most significant ones um, that happened recently was um, the case of Uber in the Netherlands, where um, you know they won the case and uh, Uber has to um, you know compensate. Um, the, the drivers for not uh, having given them a proper employment contract. Um, also, even going back to the start date of, um, of, the, of the lawsuit. So I think that is very interesting. And um, we see that in most of the cases, the platform workers are winning. What is actually happening is that, you know, indeed the, the platforms are saying, no, but we are innovative because we are from, I don't know, Silicon Valley. And that makes us innovative and that makes us different and you know we are new and and we are you, you don't you shouldn't want to uh, regulate us um like old companies but you know it's not that different they're just doing the same as uh, as some things we did in the 1800s where people worked for for peace you know they they finished one piece of of something and then they would be paid for it they are reinventing ancient ways of uh, of exploiting people, basically. Um, but it's it's quite interesting to see that in certain countries, and specifically France, um, that has really became become a thing. Um, that idea of okay, you have um, the way we have organized the labor market, and then you have now certain another category of of labor which is interesting and innovative apparently and uh, and we have to regulate that in a different way what that actually means if you look at it closely is that we say okay uber you can decide um, how we organize our labor market um, based on how you can make the most profit not based on how we have actually you know agreed in europe that workers rights are a very important part of our society um, and yeah france is one of the most notable um, countries, I think, where, where this is a very strong um, point right now, and um, this is also uh, probably the place where we're going to have a lot of opposition from towards um, the Commission's proposal. Um, however, in most, in many other countries, this idea of Uber deciding how the labor market is actually uh, shaped and uh, transformed uh, towards, um, you know, a new digital future is uh, is not. Um, that popular anymore. I think uh, they're really losing ground uh, at the moment. And um, 
I also think that the European Commission's proposal is a very clear reflection of the fact that you know the big platforms are not are no longer um, deciding how we organize things, but they just have to comply to the rules that policymakers make. So I think one of the things that, that's very observable and obvious is, is the very strong way and the strong marketing strategies that these platforms have to position themselves as very cool and flexible and giving you freedom to work whenever you want and such. Uh, when clearly we know that, you know, it, it's absolutely uh, only a one-sided thing where it's flexible for them and it works for them uh, and it can always exploit uh, people better. And I want to talk about these platforms in the COVID-19 era. There's obviously been an impact in terms of, you know, the way people have been confined and also remote working on the increase of platform work demand for some of the industries. And so you were mentioning France in France, for example, there's been a 47% increase of the food delivery business in like two years, which is huge. Um, there is some, um, some projections that by 2023, platform to consumer delivery will actually be the leading category in food delivery with revenues of more like $82 billion globally, Europe accounting for more than $7 billion of that number. And, um, you know, more generally, the platform economy is, is a growing phenomenon with around 11% of the EU workforce saying that they have already provided services through a platform. These are numbers from 2020. And so it'd be interesting to discuss maybe your observations on how platform work, maybe it will become just um, part of the, the norm and the future of work. I think we have to, especially when you look at, you know, consumers, we have to understand that indeed, I think that a lot of elements of platform work, they're not going anywhere. And it's great, you know, we, you don't have to be against the way that Uber treats their drivers to do, to, to acknowledge that their app is pretty good. You know, I, you can just click and say, just like, I want to have a ride and you will have a driver. And, um, there's not a, another taxi app that works as good and as efficient as the Uber app. However, I always think it's a pity that Uber didn't decide to just sell their app to taxi platforms where drivers actually have a good salary rather than exploiting people. But, you know, that has been their decision. Um, so I think, you know, this whole idea of having platforms and platform work is not uh, something that is going to go soon. What we have to make sure is that the people working for these platforms have the right protection and are treated as the employees that they are. Because you look at the way that the commission is defining what an employee is basically in this um uh, in this regulation, you know, it's pretty clear that that most of the platform workers will fall under it. And um, what I think is is interesting when we're talking about the COVID nineteen uh, situation specifically, um, I think it's also what I man mentioned before. A manager has more responsibilities than telling you to go from A to B. How do we make sure, like, an algorithm can't check whether you uh, are wearing a mask if you have the right mask? Um, if you're keeping a one and a half meter distance, if that's even an option, um, uh, when we're talking about the cleaning industry and the helping kind of platforms, you know, do people go into uh, houses uh, where people are actually quarantining? But when it comes to, um, you know, COVID-19 and the increase um, of, of the amount of, of platform work, I mean, I think we're now also seeing these um, these grocery deliveries that within 10 minutes, uh, people will get their groceries at home. Um, these are all developments that, you know, we really have to, to look at and see um, 
do we need it? According to some people, we do. And then um, how do we at least make sure that if we have this system, that um, the health and safety of all the workers and also their uh, their rights are, uh, are being preserved? Mm. I think it's an important thing that you just mentioned, because at the end of the day, when a platform is so efficient and so fast for the end users, it definitely has to be as the cost you know, at the cost of someone's life. Um, and here I, I, I want to make a point of intersectionality because I think there is a lot to be observed in terms of gender and race and class and nationality when it comes to the workers. And I do believe that these platforms also thrive by exploiting very um, precarious demographics. You know, so a lot of these workers are men, a lot of them are poor, a lot of them are racialized, have low education level also, which impacts the fact that sometimes they just do not know, you know where to go for help, where to go for support, how to organize against these massive platforms. And there's also an issue of, you know, und undocumented men uh, also being exploited um, through this cycle and, and the way these platforms work. And so... I'm wondering what policies could be, should be implemented at EU level to also protect these workers better, considering an intersectional approach. Um, and again, knowing that a lot of them would struggle and not even actually dare to go in and fight back against um, some of these platforms. There's two promises that the, that, um, the platforms make to, uh, to workers. One is, uh, and, and to governments as well, you know, the promise to workers and governments is a bit the same. One is um, you will be super flexible. Uh, you don't have uh, too many obligations. Um, and um, the only way you can have that flexibility is without all the, the rights that come with it. The second promise is, and I guess yeah, they, they say it to workers, but mainly to governments, is the people that have difficulties with entering the labor market. Um, and indeed, that's, for example, single moms are often mentioned, but also you know people of color who... Uh, face discrimination on the labor market, they, they all can get a job through, um, through all these platforms. That is the promise they make. And, and this is also some, one of the things that is very, um, has been taken up a lot by France. It's like, yes, you know, these platforms give opportunities to the people from the banlieues who otherwise would never be able to get a job. And it infuriates me. It truly infuriates me. Because these people are indeed the people that already, you know, have um, a position in society which is not the strongest position. And these are the people that you're actively targeting to exploit. Great, a single mom who, if, uh, you know, she has an accident, um, actually is not properly insured, um, who uh, can't even decide um, uh, where she's exactly going or how far she can actually go um, uh, in the time that she has in between taking care of, uh, of her kids, um, who um, has to first uh, accomplish a certain amount of tasks before she can see uh, if she has to go to a dangerous part of town, uh, because gamification is now also part of, uh, of the workforce for some reason. Um, and I think it is, it is really problematic to see that it's especially, you know, these demographics that are being just exploited by these platforms. Um, I think um, the most important thing that we can do in terms of policies is, is first of all, to make sure that they, they will be considered as employees um, and that will give them the rights um, they, they need and deserve. Um, but I also think that, you know, we have to also realize 
that this is the target demographic for these platforms and um, to make sure that we can organize workers. Um, and that is, of course, one of the most difficult things. What trade unions do, what labor unions do, is to make sure that, you know, workers can stand together. And when you stand together, you're strong against a big uh, company and you can fight for your rights. And what these platforms, of course, actively do is to make sure you cannot contact your colleagues. You have no idea who your colleagues are. You perhaps see them on the bike passing by. But um, since the increase in demand of uh, platform workers during the pandemic, specifically for riders, they are also deemed your competition because you're a worker. So you're not truly self-employed. You're not truly an employee. So you're sort of colleagues and competition in one. Um, and, and this is, of course, all in, in the favor of the, of the platforms. Um, so um, it's one of the things that, that we also really want to fight for in the platform work directive is to make sure that these um, platform workers can contact each other and that they have an opportunity to meet with each other and organize um, to fight for their rights together. And I think that is an extremely important element, uh, especially to give to people who don't even feel that they have should have any rights or have any rights um, in our society because of the way that society is treating them um, to give them the opportunity to fight for their rights together I think is uh, is crucial this is completely um, and extremely important and in that I want to mention a documentary called shift that was uh, done in Belgium where we follow a delivery writer for months and then he actually ended up being sued by Deliveroo for just you know questioning the relationship that he has with Deliveroo which is very interesting. We've also observed the, the, the slave rule movement in different countries. Uh, in, in Belgium, again, there's this uh, uh, Instagram account that's called Coursier en Lutte, where they actually organize even just sometimes coffee to just get together, um, you know, create solidarity among writers and also for a lot of them to know about their rights. So there are things going on, which is really good, but also tragic that they have to go to that stage of like on top of having to work and being stressed, you know, making sure that they can organize and find the energy for that. Yeah, actually, um, I've been, in, I've been yeah. working quite uh, strongly together with um, the FNV, which is uh, one of the Dutch uh, trade unions. And I also went indeed one evening um, with uh, some of the, the organizers from the trade union to one of the spots in The Hague where most of the riders wait because there's a lot of restaurants in the near area so that is the spot where the riders are waiting with their app until they get another um, another task and and that's where we spoke also with a lot of the the riders and um indeed um also what you mentioned before there were a lot of people um you know like foreign students for example who who didn't have any other way to get uh, a, a way to earn money that were that were on the app uh, and that we're waiting there. Um, quite a lot of people who didn't even speak English or Dutch. It's very hard to organize people when you can't even have a conversation with them because they don't speak uh, the language. But we also spoke there with some people who were like, yeah, I, I know I'm being exploited. I also see that pitted against, but I also don't, I don't know how to, to get out of this, um, which, is, uh, which is sad. It would be interesting to know from your perspective and also help our listeners envision 
what would be the best and the worst case scenario. So we know about the organizing and the unionizing that a lot of platform workers are working towards and they're getting more and more support in some countries. Uh, but there's also, you know, some court cases that are being lost by platform workers and some of the platforms getting stronger and stronger. And so what do you think, uh, keeping in mind the context of this proposal, what would be the ideal case in so I think the worst case scenario is that we transform our labor markets to um, comply with the platforms and how they envision the world um, and basically transform our labor markets to make sure that the platforms can make as much profit as they're making right now. I think that is something that would be really problematic. And as I mentioned before, you know, it's it's not only the platforms that are using these kind of systems. We also see it, for example, um, in the mail delivery um, and the delivery of packages. They have just taken over the system of the platforms. Um, uh, and, um, you know, there's been a lot of scandals, specifically also in Belgium recently, of course, where they found out that people are working heavily underpaid, underprotected, um, just let this happen and let it just take over our whole labor market that would be the worst case scenario uh, and just only for the profit from of some shareholders of, uh, of big platforms <coughs> the best case scenario um, i think would be that um, we embed workers rights and digital workers rights very strongly um, that we enforce on those rules, because that is something that is also still lacking, unfortunately. Um, but also that we create opportunities, for example, for cooperatives, which we are seeing arise in more and more cities um, where it's the writers that get together and say, OK, we want to do this job. We, you know, we like the freedom of having, you know, being able to cycle outside to log in when we want to. Um, but um, we don't want to do this for the profit of one big corporation. We want to all benefit from this. We want to have cooperative insurance together and make sure that, you know, we co collectively decide how we protect ourselves and our workers and uh, how we de divide the profit. And I think that is a very interesting and very cool new way and something that is also very green. Make sure that, you know, the money also stays within the community um, where they are working um, and uh, I think that is uh, a way greener way of, uh, of seeing the world. And one of the uh, questions that we love to end the episodes with, because we very much do believe in civil society's power to create change um, and also making sure that, you know, people listening to the podcast can also have the awareness raised when it comes to certain topics that they maybe don't know the behind the scenes of. Um, what do you think citizens can do, our listeners can take action on um, to support the proposal's vision? So the most important thing I think that um, citizens can do is to stand up and say, okay, we don't want um, the people that deliver our food or drive us around uh, or clean our houses are exploited. Um, also have conversations with these people to hear about their situation. That's been for me at least very you know, insightful um, to, to hear more about uh, how they feel about the, the different systems that they are working with and how much pressure it puts on them. And we have to absolutely refuse to have a society that is just, you know, led by some Silicon Valley bros. And, um, and we have to make sure that our policymakers listen to that. 
I love that. Fully agree. <laughs> um, yeah, to just finish, if there's anything that you want to promote, something that you work on, something that we can look forward to, um, that you want our <laughs> listeners to know about, now um, is the time. Uh, well, if you want to hear more, um, I'm quite active on, on Instagram and Twitter on this topic. So please uh, follow me there and um, make sure that if you have any questions or ideas on how we can um, make this platform work, uh, regulation even better, please don't hesitate to contact me. I'm always uh, interested in hearing more. Amazing. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Green Talking Heads. And thanks so much again for Kim to have been our guest for this very important conversation in the age of digitalization and gamification of work. We most probably won't see the proposal turn into concrete policies before a few months or even years. But it provides a lot of hope to see that this is an issue taken seriously and brought forward by green MEPs like him. You can have a look at the proposal on the website of the Greens EFA, for which we'll put a link in the description of the episode. Also, there will be a second part of this episode on platform work, where we will be in conversation with James Ferrer, who's a union organizer leading the change in the UK against platform work companies. Thank you and stay tuned. Stay tuned.